everyone. This is Rico. Welcome to this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi, the weekly podcast about Star Trek and all of geeky subjects uh, in entertainment media. This week's podcast is number 251. It is November the 1st, 2009. You're going to have a uh, good show, uh, kind of a classic Treks in Sci-Fi. We're going to look at the two-part episode from The Next Generation called Chain of Command from Season 6. We've got some news to talk about in sci-fi and TV and in the movies. And I'll catch everyone up uh, about my life in the working world again. So stay tuned. Welcome to the show again, folks. Uh, I hope all of you are having a good, uh, well, sort of post-Halloween now uh, celebration, eating all uh, the candy that uh, either uh, you have leftovers from maybe uh, something uh, leftover from what you were going to give out, or maybe your kids in uh, swiping a little candy out of their little plastic pumpkins and bags. I know I used to do that because, you know, they would come back with so much candy. <laughs> it was like, I don't want you guys to eat all of this candy. And we used to kind of have a little bit of a rule that they, you know, couldn't just gorge themselves. And they were pretty good about it. None of the, you know, my boys or my wife or I are really huge or big candy eaters. So sometimes we'd have can- uh, Halloween candy all the way through to like Christmas or beyond, uh, you know, eat a piece or two a day or whatever and a couple pieces a day. And you just, you get a lot uh, sometimes in the neighborhoods that we've lived in. So, but it was a uh, a good Halloween. I was actually a little surprised. We had quite a big turnout of kids. We usually have a pretty good turnout, but this year the weather here was not the greatest. We've had some really nice Halloweens in the past few years, but yesterday was not, uh, we were in the like 40s. It had rained a lot and it was windy. It was not a very pleasant uh, Halloween evening, but it still uh, got a lot of kids and uh, gave out, uh, you know, almost two whole big bowls of candy. So uh, it was a fun, uh, fun time. And, uh, you know, it was it was good to see uh, see that. And Halloween has changed over the years. And I know there are some people in some areas where they don't get a lot of kids anymore for a lot of reasons. And, uh, you know, maybe the neighborhood's a little older and, and that. But uh, we had a fun time. I didn't do a lot this year. It's just with this job thing and, and didn't get a chance to do much. And both of the boys are up at college and weren't home for the weekend. So it was kind of I stuck a little pumpkin out on the porch, gave out candy, and that was about it. Program complete. Enter when ready. Well, let's uh, catch everyone up a little bit about uh, Rico back in the uh, world of the working uh, people. <laughs> people? Yeah. Or persons? Oh, whatever. Uh, yes, last week I had uh, my first week at this new uh, currently contract job, which uh, is, uh, it was going okay. You know, it's it's always a little tricky. This is a kind of a small chemical company in Michigan. I I probably mentioned that before. Similar uh, company in size, you know, to where I was working actually previously in a way, but different in a lot of ways because this job, the kind of materials and things that they use are are things I'm familiar with, but I haven't done a lot with in, in recent years. And 
you know, it's still chemistry, it's still lab work, it's still, you know, there are some basics that are similar, but there is a lot to learn. This company has a, has a very large uh, portfolio of products that they make, and, uh, you know, most of last week was just kind of tagging along with the other guys that are working there in the lab and trying to learn a few things and help out where I could, and uh, it, it's it's a bit of a learning curve. There's, uh, you know, it was like this again, the previous jobs that I've had, and, you know, I know it's going to continue like this probably for the next several weeks and beyond. But it is uh, it's going OK, I think. It's a little tricky and different, you know, with this. I'm uh, away during the week uh, doing the job. And then I came home on Friday after work uh, for the weekend. I'm home right now still. I'll go back uh, tomorrow and in in, uh, Monday morning I'll drive back up to this area. And, you know, I stayed in the hotel during the week, which is a really nice hotel. (laughs) The area that this is in, it's kind of in the, I guess, middle or so part of Michigan. And it's in a, I guess, a fairly, you know, not a huge city at all. But, uh, you know, when you get out of the town, the little town that this is in, there's just farms and cornfields and everything around it. So suffice it to say, there isn't, you know, it's not like I'm working in a big city or anything like that. Uh, but that's okay for me. I mean, most nights I would just get out uh, after work, go uh, get a little something for dinner later, relax in the hotel. They have a pool in the hotel, which it, which was nice or is nice. And I, I got to swim a little bit, which I don't get a chance to do, and that was fun. And it, it, But it's uh, back to the hotel, it's very – I swear I had the, the one floor to myself. It's a Holiday Inn, uh, very nice uh, Holiday Inn, actually. I've stayed in quite a few over the years, but – they they don't have a lot of traffic there. There's not a lot of people at this time of year, uh, and I'm not sure how many people they ever have. I probably most of the nights in the morning when I would leave for work, uh, the next day I would see like maybe ten, maybe twelve cars in the parking lot of the whole hotel. So, and it's not a small hotel; it has three floors. So, that gives you an idea a little bit about uh, how many people are really staying there. But there are things around, uh, not too far away uh, is uh, the college town where my kids live too, which is kind of, our kids live and go to school. So that's kind of nice. I went and met uh, my younger son one evening for dinner. There are some movie theaters around. I didn't really explore a lot last week. It was just trying to get my uh, feet on the ground and get my bearings. But uh, overall, I think it's going okay. I'll, I'll keep everyone, give everyone a little update each week on the podcast but it is, uh, it's kind of nice in a way to be back into um, working for a living. Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and my brand new Stargazer project is coming out on CD and download on the 26th of October. Take a listen to some of the songs. Three, two, one, zero. Launch commit, liftoff. We have liftoff with Apollo 14. Three minutes past the hour. track album is a collection of songs to watch the stars with visit takehimwithyou.com slash stargazer for more information on how to get your copy yeah that's my friend rick moyer's new cd which is out now uh you can get it on cd baby itunes it uh 
just go over to uh, that link, uh, takehimwithyou.com forward slash stargazer, and learn all about it. Definitely worth uh, purchasing. It, it's some great music, and I highly suggest you all pick up a copy. We always wondered, could there be others out there? ABC, in only five days, we will know. My God. They arrive, visitors from beyond. Some will welcome them. We're obsessed with the visitors. They call it spreading hope. Others will fear them. It bothers me that they showed up right when we need them the most. And everyone's lives will change forever. ABC's V, new series premiere, Tuesday at 8, 7 central on ABC. Well, that, of course, is uh, one of the promo previews for this new uh, version of V that uh, is uh, showing up on ABC starting this Tuesday, Tuesday evening, 8, eight uh, Eastern time, I believe, for an hour premiere. I think it's only an hour, the first one. And uh, this series, of course, started back in the 80s as it you know, originally aired. I won't go into all that history. Maybe sometime uh, I'll do a V podcast. Uh, but I just wanted to remind everyone, basically, that this new series, uh, that uh, new version of V is coming out this Tuesday. It looks pretty good. Uh, it looks like they got a good cast. Uh, it's one, one of the things about this uh, show uh, that uh, could be interesting is just, uh, you know, some of the things going on in the world, that, like you hear in that promo you know, with uh, the world and the economy and a lot of people having a lot of issues, I think this is uh, kind of good timing in a way to have aliens show up and kind of all offer to kind of make everything better for everyone and fix everything and uh, kind of have their hands out and say, here, come join us and we'll make everything in your lives better. Come get a job with the V people. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, I'm going to definitely be watching it up, uh, well, in the hotel room on Tuesday night. So it, it looks uh, looks pretty cool, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, just back, uh, talk a little bit about sci-fi in general right now and, and maybe slide a little Trek talk in later towards the end of what's going on. But I'm uh, a little behind on some of the stuff with the work thing. This week, I haven't seen some of the stuff that airs on Friday, like the latest Stargate Universe. But what happened? Well, oh, I did watch last night the uh, Battlestar Galactica, the plan. That's the main thing I think I wanted to talk about. It was pretty good, I thought. I'm not going to spoil it or, or say too much. Uh, it is uh, just out. I think it just came out uh, last Tuesday on DVD. This will probably eventually air on television on, like, the Sci-Fi Channel at some point. But they did this, uh, they did with this, uh, just released a DVD of it first. And then, again, it'll probably air at some point. But I thought I thought it was pretty good. I will say, though, don't watch this thing if you haven't really seen this series. I don't think this would be for you. You really probably need to see the series almost it's in, in its entirety or a good chunk of it to, to enjoy this. Basically, the premise is it is the kind of the series or what goes on in the new Battlestar Galactica, but from the point of view of the Cylons more. You, you learn a little bit more about, about the different Cylons and what their motivations are and some of the other things. It's they've done. I've I've seen and read books that have done this before, where you read a book. Uh, I, one that really springs to mind, I think, Dragon Riders of Pern, uh, Anne McCaffrey's series. They did this kind of thing. It's been done in a lot of different uh, forms and styles, but you know where you read a story from one person's point of view, and then the, the author uh, puts out another book from a different person's point of view, and you get a different idea. And again, it's been done in movies and TV in different ways. So that's what this was about. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. 
I, I'd say it maybe wasn't the greatest Galactica thing that I've ever seen. You know, I enjoyed the series immensely and loved it. Really miss it. Uh, it it's just one one of the best sci-fi shows ever, in my opinion. Uh, and this, it's a nice little sort of companion to it all. But, of course, since you know, if you've seen the series and you know everything that's going on, there aren't really a lot of surprises, obviously, in this. It's events that you've seen, but just from a different um, perspective and point of view. So uh, I still think it's, if you're a Galactica fan, definitely pick it up, rent it, watch it, uh, and uh, I think you would uh, enjoy it. Uh, I I think some people maybe were expecting a little bit more from it in some way. Uh, I don't know. uh, This is about what I expected when I watched it, so it, it was enjoyable. Um, what else has been sci-fi that I've seen on TV the past week? I guess not that much. The usual shows, you know, I'm keeping up on. There was no new Fringe. I I wish they'd move Fringe back to where it was on Tuesdays and have it on at like 9 o'clock. I think that would be ideal. You know, the the new V series is on at 8, put Fringe back on on Tuesdays at 9. I guess the ratings aren't doing so good right now because it's being on Thursday. Same thing with Dollhouse. It's off the air now for a few weeks. It'll be back, I think, in early December, like the first week, the first Friday in December. That's coming back. Summer Glau will be uh, part of the cast uh, from that point. But uh, that's also kind of having a hard time in the ratings on Friday night, so it's a little disappointment. Oh, one sort of side uh, sci-fi thing that happened last week. There's that TV show, uh, it's a cop detective show called Castle. Nathan Fillion is on there. Not really sci-fi, but they had a Halloween episode last Monday night, and he got to put on his uh, good old Mal uh, uh, Malcolm Reynolds outfit from Firefly Days as a costume that he wore. And it, There's a, a, a great part at the beginning of the episode especially. You can find it on YouTube and, you know, I'm sure in maybe other places, but it's it's a great series. It's a lot of fun. I love Nathan Fillion on the show. I think the two main characters have a good rapport and chemistry. Uh, the uh, woman cop that he works with, and he's an author, and he kind of helps her solve cases. It's a little, it, it's not sci-fi again, but it's, it's a real fun show. I enjoy it a lot. So check that out, uh, Nathan, back in his uh, Firefly uh, Captain Reynolds outfit. Want to contribute to the weekly podcast with audio comments? Send them in to treksf at gmail.com or visit www.treksinsci-fi.com. Treks and Sci-Fi with Rico Dustin. Over on the Trek front, uh, a couple things. With the Blu-ray and DVD release of the movie coming out uh, or coming up here very soon, I think it's the it's the tenth or the is that the Tuesday next week? Is it coming out? I think it's some yeah. I think it's next week. Anyway, the there are some deleted scenes, of course, from the film, and one of them showed up online this week. You can find it on YouTube. You can check trekmovie.com. It is one of the scenes with involving the Klingons and Nero being uh, interrogated and questioned by one of the Klingons and asking him about, uh, you know, what he knows about the Federation and some other things. It, uh, but that's kind of neat. It's neat to see that, and uh, it's interesting to to see these deleted scenes as the movie comes out and kind of you get an idea of you know why they cut what they did. You know, the I think J.J. Abrams and everyone that worked on it made a very tight, concise movie. I can see why some of these things 
you know, weren't too integral to the story. Uh, it would have been nice and extra stuff, but it wasn't all that critical or important to the tale that they tried to tell. So, uh, But we will get to see that stuff and a lot of other extras uh, in the um, DVD next week. So uh, what else Trek-wise that I wanted to cover? Uh, the uh, Star Trek Phase 2 guys, did I say this? I don't know if I said this on last week's podcast. It seems like it was a long time ago, but I'll mention it again. They're going to finally come out with the second part to their Blood and Fire uh, show, uh, or I should say fan movie. That will be out. Uh, yeah, I did say, I did talk about this next week. Now I'm remembering. Anyway, November 20th for that. Uh, there's a thing called Klingon Propaganda that's floating around on YouTube, something new uh, that a fan did. Check that out. There are some new Trek comics out. Uh, what else? Some books. Uh, Star Trek Vanguard Precipice. And others, just kind of scanning down the headlines here for Trek. That's probably about it. I guess the big news is probably pretty, you know, pretty soon we'll be talking about what we think about the the movie and the add-ons and all the extras that they have on the DVD Blu-ray release. A non-Trek story that that, uh, came out, another sci-fi related thing, though, this week is the new... uh, Brand new, uh, longer, uh, full trailer. The previous one was just a teaser trailer for James Cameron's movie Avatar that's coming out this uh, December was released online. Uh, That has been in movie theaters for a week or so, and it looks fantastic. You know, I still think the story seems fairly straightforward and fairly simple, but it it looks amazing. The visuals, this is probably going to be one of the most you know visually stunning i think uh movies that we've seen just the effects that they're doing this whole world they're creating for the movie and all of that uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing this in the in the theaters this to me is the kind of movie that just cries out you know go go pay your money whatever it takes and go see it in the movie theater uh and even with a big screen tv it's not something i want to wait for to watch that way so avatar next month and other christmas movies coming that uh that new scrooge movie with james carey that animated one looks pretty cool i i'm I'm kind of a sucker for that uh, storyline and enjoy it quite a bit so looking forward to that and i know we'll have a lot more as the holidays are quickly approaching now that we're in november Hey, folks, I just wanted to mention a couple of sponsors and uh, ways for you to save money uh, on two things, uh, GoDaddy.com and Zazzle.com. I have codes for both of those. You can find them at at TrexinSciFi.com. GoDaddy.com is great for web hosting, domain name purchases, and all of that. Uh, Zazzle.com is a very cool site. You can get custom T-shirts, all kinds of... uh, office-type supplies, stationery, mugs with your picture on it if you want. They just have a great service, and everything can be done uh, to your specifications. So check out GoDaddy.com and Zazzle.com, and make sure to check by TrexinSciFi.com to get the codes to save you money on both those services. Hello there, my name is Meds. And this is David Frost. You're not David Frost. All right, I mean, this is Mark, and we are the present Mark. Alright, get on with it. Okay. And we're the presenters of Waffle On Podcast, and we like to talk about crap. TV broadcast between 1960 to 1999. Would you say it's crap? Some of it. Really? <laughs> Especially the British stuff. But we've already had a podcast about that, so let's move up on that. Unbelievable. You can find us at the http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. Do not smile when I say the word colon. Oh, I'm not. <laughs>
Yes, definitely check out that uh, really fun podcast that Meds does uh, with his friend each week. Uh, or actually, it's not each week, I think. Uh, but anyway, Waffle On is a lot of fun to listen to. And I wanted to also mention and, and uh, make sure you uh, come back next week for Treks in Sci-Fi because Meds is going to do a special James Bond podcast uh, guest uh, hosting duties and learn all about James Bond and what he thinks about that amazing, you know, long-lived franchise of movies. So come back next week for some Bond talk. Now establishing data link. Hey, everybody. I'm DJ Silver Fox. And I'm DJ Big L from RadioGalactica.net. You're listening to the Trucks and Sci-Fi Podcast with Rico Dusty. Cool. Okay, let's segue now into this week's uh, look at uh, a Trek episode, two episodes actually, a two-parter from The Next Generation's sixth season. Uh, it is, of course, the you know very well-known and, and very well-liked, I think, Chain of Command set of episodes, uh, which uh, basically shows us Picard naked. <laughs> well, there's, of course, a lot more to it than that, and we'll be covering that in depth with... Many clips that I collected, I just went through this morning, uh, went through the episodes, uh, gathered. Uh, you know, it's very hard with the two-parter to catch and get the episodes, you know, the, the highlights without sacrificing, you know, oh boy, I can't take that and I can't take that. Uh, but I have about 14 clips, it looks like, although I may skip one or two of them depending on how the timing goes. And I never really know when I get started as I talk about the episode how that's going to play out. But I think I should be able to get them in mostly. Uh, chain of Command, let's give you a little bit of background. This episode was production number 236. It first aired the week of December 14th, 1992. The first part did. Uh, Stardate 46357.4. <laughs> anyway, this was uh, a teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, of course, of Battlestar Galactic fame now. by uh, The story, though, was by Frank Abitamarco. Abitamarco, I think is how you say his name. Uh, the, the premise of this story is this. Basically... There were a few purposes to these to the two part of that you're going to see. One of the biggest was actually this was sort of setting up the situation for uh, deep excuse me Deep Space Nine that TV series that just uh, started shortly after these episodes. What you have in the uh, start of this set of episodes is the Cardassians have uh, basically given up and withdrawn from Bajoran territory and space, and they are kind of uh, pulling back. And because of that, they are also trying to expand and grab some territories near the Federation border. And the, again, this this set of episodes was sort of introduced the more about them and their situation with the Bajorans, and uh, you know their the situation with the Federation, of course, as well. The episode, you know, that's kind of a 
partial piece of it. Of course, the big thing that goes on in, in the first part is that com- uh, Picard is relieved of his command of the Enterprise, and we have this new captain, Captain Jellicoe, put into command, and then that sets off uh, a whole series of things. It also puts uh, Picard on this mission with uh, Dr. Crusher and Worf uh, to infiltrate this Cardassian, uh, what they think is the Cardassian base and lab and everything. But we'll talk about that more as we go through uh, the uh, two-parter, Chain of Command. The Cardassian forces, which were recently withdrawn from the Bajoran sector, have been redeployed along the Federation border. They have mobilized three divisions of ground troops, and their subspace communications have been increased by 50%. We believe that they're preparing for an incursion into Federation space. Are the Cardassians ready for a war? I didn't say war, Commander. I said incursion. Our intelligence reports suggest that they'll try to seize one of the disputed systems along the border. We think they're gambling that the Federation won't actually go to war over one system. Will we? I hope we won't need to make that decision. We have decided to send the Enterprise to meet with the Cardassian representative in open talks. We're hoping that the presence of the Federation flagship on the border will send a message to their leadership about just how seriously we view the situation. Where is Captain Picard? The captain, your chief medical officer and security chief have been reassigned. That's all I can tell you for now. Do any of you know Edward Jellicoe? He is the commanding officer of the Cairo. I've heard of him. I don't know that any of us have ever... I'm giving him command of the Enterprise this afternoon. Captain Jellicoe helped to negotiate the original armistice two years ago, and I believe he's the most qualified person to lead this mission. The change of command will take place at 1,300 hours. Thank you. There's one thing about these episodes in the early, the first part at least, that always kind of confused me a bit. And even watching it again uh, this morning, it, it did again. The that meeting there, and you know, they say where is Captain Picard and all that. Well, he's still aboard the Enterprise. You know, you see the, him training with uh, Doctor Crusher and Worf uh, during the uh, first episode, during this first part uh, to Chain of Command. And it, it kind of is a little odd to me, you know, you, you, it seems almost like there should have been a scene, uh, and there are a few little bits, but there should have been something like where Riker goes to see Picard, tries to kind of, you know, get some info and all and see what's going on, and they just kind of gloss over it. Now, part of that, I think they do that for, to keep the audience a little bit guessing. You know, Picard and Worf and Dr. Crusher are training, and he's like, I can't tell you anything and all. And, you know, it kind of doesn't really add up for me completely. I think they do some of that for the viewer and the audience, and some of it maybe a little bit makes sense, but it kind of comes off a little strange in in a way. And that's, you know, it's not a big complaint or anything like that. I'm okay with it, but the it's it's I see shows that do this kind of thing in other ways uh, you know all the time really you know where they're sacrificing sort of logic and what you really think would happen in a story to keep the audience you know more guessing and more wondering what's going on it's uh, again just an observation a little bit and uh, let's go on with uh, another clip to captain Jean-Luc Picard commanding officer USS Enterprise stardate 46358.1 you are hereby requested and required to relinquish command of your vessel to captain Edward Jellicoe commanding officer USS Cairo as of this date 
Signed, Vice Admiral Alina Nechev, Starfleet Command. Computer, transfer all command codes to Captain Edward Jellicoe. Voice authorization, Picard Delta 5. Transfer complete. USS Enterprise now under command of Captain Edward Jellicoe. I relieve you, sir. I stand relieved. Dismissed. wonder how permanent this is going to be. I don't know. They don't usually go through the ceremony if it's just a temporary assignment. Sore? Oh, sore doesn't begin to describe it. Yeah, I like that uh, scene. It's it's a neat thing. You get you don't get to see that a lot, you know, where they have this sort of transfer command ceremonies. Uh, or ceremony, and you you get to, you know, see a new captain take over the Enterprise. And that's a big part of, of course, this set of episodes. There's this new captain in town, Jellicoe, uh, played by uh, veteran actor Ronnie Cox. And, you know, I think he does a really good job in a, in a tricky situation. You know, they I, I was reading a little bit of background on this episode, and, and Ron Moore said he really wanted to make him different than Picard. Obviously, they don't want to have somebody come in and be kind of a carbon copy of Picard. This guy's a little abrasive. He kind of maybe thinks a little too much of himself, doesn't consult with the officers like Picard does as much. And, and, you know, he's just different, and he has a little different style. He comes in and immediately starts changing things around. He he wants the ship to go from three uh, shifts to four shifts of people, you know, and in and, and their various duties, which seems like a huge change to me. I mean, it's almost kind of ridiculous when I think about that. You know, can you think about somebody coming into your workplace or, or whatever, and maybe you're in a situation where they run three shifts, eight hours each shift, and then say, hey, tomorrow or right now, actually not even tomorrow, you know, today we're, we're switching to four uh, duty shifts or whatever. It, it just why you know or whatever but but anyway he's he's a different kind of captain and of course he and Riker butt heads Riker and Picard formed a good relationship they were friends and they worked together for a long time and that causes a lot of friction you know when there's a new captain in between uh or excuse me between Riker and Jellico. but again I I really enjoy that I like that a lot I like that almost as much as I like the whole Picard being captured in torture story that we get to later, especially in part two of this uh, set of episodes. I'd like to go over the duty roster with you. I'd be happy to, but first, I'd like to talk about how the change in command is affecting the crew. <sighs> I've noticed some resistance. I wouldn't call it resistance. More like uncertainty. Most of them had served under Captain Picard for several years. They knew him, and they knew what he expected. Now they're being asked to adjust to a new captain and a new way of doing things. And they're uncertain how to react. I see your point. This all could be very unsettling to them. And to you. Perhaps everyone just needs time. Time for you to get to know and trust the crew, and time for them to understand how you want things done. I'm glad you brought this to my attention, Deanna. Unfortunately, I don't have time for a honeymoon with the crew. You've clearly given this a lot of thought. 
So I'd like you to take charge of the morale situation. Please see to it that they make the adjustment to the new routine quickly and easily. Uh, I have a meeting with the new security chief in five minutes, so the duty roster will have to wait. Thank you, Counselor. Well, by the way, uh, I prefer a certain formality on the bridge. I'd appreciate it if you wore a standard uniform when you're on duty. Of course, sir. Yes, of course. And one of the big things that this episode does is puts Deanna Troy, Counselor Troy, in a regular good old uh, Starfleet uniform like the rest of the crew, which I was just happy to see. It got to be to the point really where why isn't she in one? You know, I mean, it, it, you know, in the early seasons, it kind of I don't know. It always seemed a little odd to me even then, maybe even more so, especially some of those outfits the little, uh, <laughs> what did, uh, Marina Sirtis always said it was a little cheerleader outfit at the beginning and then the dress and all the other things that, uh, you know, and again, it, I, who knows the various reasons I've heard all kinds of stories over the years at conventions and things like that, but I'm happy that she puts on a regular uniform. It actually looks good on her. And, uh, I like seeing another person in a blue style, uh, Starfleet uniform on the bridge. So, uh, the uh, but you know you could pick up in that conversation between you know Captain Jellico and, and Counselor Troy that you know he's like you know I don't really care what the crew thinks just make it you know ha- make it happen or whatever he says he says he instead of make it so he he has this little three word phrase he says get it done is his phrase you know they they obviously threw uh, uh, you know gave him a little his own Jellicoism type of thing, like the Picard, uh, you know, line that he would always use. I guess Ron Moore especially was pushing hard for uh, Troy to get in a regular uniform for a while. And from the background, again, that I read on this, she was very happy with that uh, change. And like I said, I think it uh, suits her. Starfleet Intelligence believes that the Cardassians are developing a metagenic weapon. Oh, my God. I am not familiar with metagenics. They're genetically engineered viruses that are designed to destroy entire ecosystems. When metagenic toxins are released into a planet's atmosphere, they immediately begin to mutate. They seek out and destroy all forms of DNA they encounter. In a few days, everything is dead. In a month, the metagenic agent itself breaks down and dissipates completely, leaving every city, every road, every piece of equipment perfectly intact leaving the planet safe to be conquered wouldn't using such a weapon pose as great a risk to the attacker as to the target that's why metagenics and other biological weapons were outlawed years ago even the romulans have abided with those agreements starfleet intelligence believes that the cardassians are developing a new delivery system one that would protect them from accidental exposure to the toxin They believe that the Cardassians are testing a way of launching dormant metagenic material on a subspace carrier wave. So they could activate the toxins after the launch, thereby preventing any accidental exposure. Mm -hmm. And because the subspace wave would appear simply as background radiation, no one would realize what was happening until it was too late. So this is where we learn the mission. This is uh, where Picard briefs uh, Dr. Crusher and Worf in the shuttle on their way to this uh, 
place they think they're conducting this experiment. I have a little problem on a technical end with the this metagenic idea. You know, it's like that old neutron bomb type of idea that was that was thrown around for a while there. You know, you launch something on a planet, you destroy all the life. Well, what does that get rid of all the plant life, the animal life? You know, in a, in a couple of days, you wipe all life out on the planet, not just the people that you want gone, or the or the you know whatever they are, people, you know, aliens, whatever. You wipe out all life on a planet. I don't think it's a place you really want to set up a, you know, put a little tent up and start living. I, I just me. Now, of course, they could have said something like, it just wipes out the the the, the most intelligent species, so you'd be left with plant life and, and lower animals and that. But they, so, you know, just a little detail they don't really go into. But it, you know, almost sounds more like the Genesis device in a way. But and again, it's just a little bit of a plug or a tag for the story to get it going it turns out that they aren't really doing this anyway and it's all just this lure to get picard there so here's our next clip oh this next one i have to this one is uh i like this scene with beverly when they're trying to uh, book passage with this ferengi and he's a little not inclined at first so beverly turns on the charms to uh, try to uh, persuade him we would be interested in Quietly booking passage for the journey. I don't think he would be interested in dealing with Federation spies. You know, I heard that Solik was quite a man. Why, yes. He is an extraordinary man. That's why we came here. Because only Sola could help us. I guess there's some things even Sola can't do. It's too bad. Because if he could, I would be very, very, yes, grateful. When do you want to leave? Yeah, it's a funny, funny part to the episode. One of the one of the lighter moments. This is a a fairly serious set of episodes, and one of the lighter moments in it is that scene. And actually, they wanted uh, the idea at first was they were going to have Quark play that character, play that guy there, and but then they realized they couldn't really do that because this was going to air before Deep Space Nine started, and it would be a little confusing. And they didn't kind of want to reveal him anyway as a character yet. So they used another actor in that role and another uh, Solak, I think is his name, right? So uh, anyway, they uh, they didn't use Quark. But that was the original idea, and it was supposed to be Quark in that part there as the Ferengi to uh, to help them get to this Cetris, Citrus 3 or whatever it's called. They're going to Celtris, Celtris 3, yes. We are conducting routine training operations, nothing more. Then I'm sure you won't mind if we send a few starships into this sector for our own training operations. Your fleet deployments do not concern us. However, we are very concerned with your refusal to vacate those territories along the border, which are clearly Cardassian. You gave up your claims on those territories when you signed the armistice. You couldn't take those worlds by force, so you want us to give them to you at the bargaining table. Captain, please, we should listen to them. 
Galdemak, as you know, the systems are still under negotiation by the terms of the treaty. Negotiations which we have pursued in good faith. Unfortunately, the Federation has not been as forthcoming. So to speed up the process, you are preparing for war? We are preparing to defend ourselves. The Federation will not start a war. That has always been your position. However, I have heard reports that a small team from the Federation has already been sent into our territory. Of course, I don't believe it. Such an attempt would almost certainly fail. And even if it succeeded, it would trigger a very serious response on our part. One thing that you, I think, start to get, even though he's he's not exactly the friendliest and the, and the best with the crew, is that Jellicoe is actually pretty good at negotiation, and he's pretty good at getting the ship ready for what they've got to do. So you, you kind of have some respect for the guy, I think, by the end of it all. He doesn't, of course, explain himself that much. He kind of you know, jumps in, and here he's kind of messing with all these characters that we've grown to love over the years. So you, you're going to kind of resent him a little bit, just like they do. But it is, um, you know, interesting to see that at the end of it all, I think that they all kind of respect each other and realize this guy actually does uh, know what he's doing, and he's actually trying to do the best job he can. The next clip, uh, of course, uh, this raid goes bad. They find out that there was just this little device there to admit this irradiation to lure them there. And the whole thing's been one big setup to get Picard, uh, to get the Cardassians Picard so they could capture him and learn uh, what the Federation is up to. Uh, Worf and Dr. Crusher escape, but Picard is caught. And then this takes us sort of towards the end of the first uh, episode, or the first part of this two-parter. And where you get to meet uh, this Cardassian who is going to be uh, not very nice to our dear Captain Picard. You should prove an interesting challenge. Possibly the most interesting to come through that door in many years. What do you want? Why, you, of course. Picard. Jean-Luc. Serial number. SP-937-1. Son of Maurice and Yvette Picard. Born in Le Bar, France. Formerly captain of the Stargazer. Where you conducted extensive studies on Theta Bam's subspace carrier waves. Don't look so surprised. How could we have designed a lure for the captain of the Federation flagship unless we knew something about his background? So you concocted an elaborate ruse to bring me here. Why? In this room, you do not ask questions. I ask them. You answer. If I am not satisfied with your answers, you will die. So that ended, of course, the uh, the first part to Chain of Command, and we got to meet there at the end, Gull Madrid, uh, who was played, of course, or is played in these episodes by David Warner, who has played, uh, you know, various parts over the years in Trek. He was in 
two of the movies. Uh, he's he's a great character actor. He was in a, an excellent film uh, called Time After Time, which is a great movie from, I think that was 1979 or so. Uh, again, a great adversary for Picard here. And one thing I was thinking about, between this episode and Best of Both Worlds, you know, Picard... Remember how they made such a big point out of, you know, keep the captain out of harm's way, always sending the first officer, all that good stuff. And Picard over the years had certainly got his share of knocks and, and beat up and tortured and, and changed into a Borg and, and all kinds of stuff happens to him. And uh, uh, I want to say one little bit of background before we move on. And that is that uh, Patrick Stewart was has always been a big supporter of, of Amnesty International and causes like that. So when these episodes and he read the scripts came across his desk and, and he was he was really pleased and really threw himself into especially part two where you get to have the whole confrontation and torture and everything that goes on between David Warner's character and his you know in those in those scenes they're they're very intense. He, uh, I'll, I'll talk about those as we go through the next part to Chain of Command. Is there any truth in what he's saying? Captain Picard and the others were sent to investigate reports of a metagenic weapon on Seltras Three. It's possible that they may have been captured. But if they did escape, they'll head for the Lycian system. The Enterprise is supposed to meet them there in eight hours. We'll... I want you to take a shuttlecraft and head for the rendezvous point. The Enterprise will have to remain here until the end game with Golda Mech is played out. Aye, sir. Yeah, so Riker is sent off on a mission to see if the uh, any of them escaped, and of course he comes back only with Worf and Dr. Crusher. They lost uh, uh, Captain Picard when they were in a firefight with the Cardassians. They got kind of trapped behind a doorway, and uh, they were really only after Picard anyway. So you almost think it's one big setup. They all, you know, maybe they even let them go, but right, probably not that. They probably would have been fine to capture them all. Uh, and then that gets us to the main, you know, probably point or thing of these episodes that most people remember, and it's the uh, the questioning and torture of Captain Picard. You know, first they start with some drugs, and then they eventually move into this. Really, it becomes a psychological torture and game between uh, Gull Madrid and, and Picard's character, or I should say Patrick Stewart's character, who does some amazing acting. You know, the, I, I love the, the sparsity of the set, this, this torture area where they work, where there's just kind of a desk, a desk. <laughs> a desk where the Cardassian, you know, interrogator sits. Picard's over there kind of sometimes hanging from these manacles uh, all night long even. They strip him down and break him down into, you know, uh, uh, he he turns him into this almost object, no identity and all that. And and you'll hear that in some of these uh, clips I'm going to play here in, in a few moments. And it, it's kind of hard to watch even now, you know. It might seem a little tame. But for, for television, I think they, they did about as much as they could. There's a scene where Picard, you know, they first pull off all of his clothes, and he's actually uh, completely naked there. They kind of closed off the set, and, and, and Patrick Stewart was insistent that as best they could, and, you know, it's kind of in shadow, and this is TV, so they can't show that much. But, you know, he's, uh, oh, did I say the word but? <laughs> That's a bad joke. I shouldn't do that. 
the uh, the scenes though there, you know, they they seem as real as they possibly could do. And one thing that confuses me again watching this though is when they're using the drugs on Picard, it almost seems like you know they're getting what they want out of him as much as they could. They don't really go into a lot of detail on why they kind of stopped that. You know, why why the drugs, they couldn't just keep drugging him to get all the information they, they thought that he had in his mind about where the Federation forces were deployed and, and the plans were and all that out of him by just, you know, using drugs. And this is the future, and you'd think they'd have some pretty sophisticated ones that would basically allow you to, you know, you inject the guy and get him to tell you anything they want. So they, I don't know, maybe I missed something and maybe somebody could email or, or say something in the comments on the forum when we talk about this. But I, I kind of don't get that part of it. I mean, I know they want to turn this into this guy wants to, and I think he sees Picard as a challenge, I guess is the other part of it. He wants to break Picard. He wants to, you know, here's here's the captain of the Federation's flagship, you know, probably one of the highest, you know, opponents that the Cardassians would view out there. And they feel like, you know, this guy feels like he's this challenge and he wants to break him. So maybe that's just the simple answer that he's not going to do it the easy way and just inject him and drug him up. He's going to make him tell him anything he wants of his own kind of, well, I I wouldn't say free will by that point, but he will break him down and get what he wants out of him his way. What I would like is to be returned to my ship. My dear captain. You are a criminal. You've been apprehended invading one of our secret facilities. The least that will happen is for you to stand trial and be punished. But I'm offering you the opportunity for that experience to be... civilized. What is the price of that opportunity? Cooperation. We need to know the Federation's defense strategy for Minos Corp. You've injected me with drugs. Surely you must realize that I've already answered truthfully every question you've put to me. Captain, we have gone to great lengths to lure you here. Because we know that in the event of an invasion, the Enterprise will be the command ship for the sector encompassing Minos Corp. And it seems you have more knowledge of the situation than I. Yeah, see, he doesn't uh, he doesn't exactly answer that uh, question uh, precisely, and I don't know. Maybe there was something like they thought they would throw him back out and and use him as sort of an, a a double agent and brainwash him in some way. And they don't really say that. That's just kind of a guess. So, yeah, it's not a big again point or deal really in the episode. But I just I think it really comes down to this guy, you know, sees Picard as this challenge, and he wants to break him down and and you know turn him into his little lapdog almost, without any, uh, you know, chemical influence on him at all. Tell him to scrutinize every detail of those caverns on Seltris 3. Aye, sir. Request permission to begin planning a rescue operation. I know you were close to him, Will, but we don't even know if he's still alive. Under the circumstances, a rescue mission would be foolhardy. Shouldn't we assume that he is alive until it's been proved otherwise? We cannot just abandon him. He's gone. I'm sorry, Will, but you're going to have to accept that. I want those tricorder readings analyzed by 1,400 hours. Yes, sir. 
Yeah, here we see the you know the eventual breakdown between Riker and and Jellico, and eventually uh, Jellico relieves him as his first officer and points Data or appoints Data as his new first officer. So we get to see Data in a red uniform in uh, a good part of uh, the second part to Chain of Command. And one one little thing that I would like to have seen them slide in, and again, it's it's a matter of time. You know, you've only got so many minutes, forty three or four minutes in these episodes to do all this, but I almost would have thought Riker would have planned something on his own. You know, he's relieved of duty. He's kind of basically got nothing to do. (laughs) He's not first officer. He's sitting around in his quarters in his bathrobe uh, playing his trombone or whatever. But uh, I would have thought he would have gone to Geordi or Data maybe even or or Worf uh, and and figured out a way to sort of go behind Jellicoe's back and plan some kind of rescue mission anyway and, and maybe even try to do something. But Again, they, they've only got so much time, so I could see why maybe they didn't decide to go with that. I'm sure they thought about it, though, and they certainly couldn't really put it into motion. That would have involved a, a, a big change to this episode. So, And next, we're going to get into these clips where the classic uh, part of this episode or the thing that people, and, and you know, we have uh, someone on the forum named Four Lights, even, Nathan, and uh the the point that the uh, Cardassian uh, Gul Madrid uh, tries to get across, and the way he tries to break Picard, is he's got these lights behind his desk. He clicks this button, he turns on these lights, and there there are four lights. There are only four of them, and uh, he keeps telling Picard. And this is the psychological part of this episode where. He tells Picard, how many lights do you see? And Picard starts to say, you know, or says throughout the episodes, basically, there's four lights. What are you talking about? There's four lights. And and the Cardassian, you know, David Warner's character says, no, you're wrong. There's five lights. Basically, he he's making Picard, he's telling Picard, whatever I tell you is the truth. Ignore what you see, what you think, what you know. What I'm telling you is there are five li- five lights back here not four. And Picard's like, you know, I see what you're doing. And no, there are four, you know. Now, I when I watch this again, and I understand the whole point, Picard's the big hero character. He's the captain of the Enterprise, la la la, and all that stuff. And, and I understand the psychological nature of it. But, I, you know, if I was in his position, I would be like, you know, you haven't really broken me. Oh, there's five lights. Yeah, I mean, I might have struggled a bit to kind of look like I was maybe going along with them or not I'm sorry not going along with them and then eventually go oh you know when he's he's got this little thing implanted in Picard too that allows him to uh inflict pain if he doesn't uh, comply with what he wants but at some point it seems like he would just go along with them and I know really that there's only four lights and, and and just say sure there's five lights now can I eat can I have something to drink can you get me a shirt to wear uh, I don't know I I mean Again, I understand what they're trying to get across in this and what the point of the episode is, but it's a little, it's a little unrealistic, I guess, to a degree. I think. I again, I hope uh, you guys maybe when you hear all what I'm saying, maybe someone will maybe throw some comments in, and I can play them on next week's podcast or the week after, I should say, next week's the guest show. But just a thought, and uh, you know, email me what you think or post it on the forum too. Here's the next clip in the struggle about the number of lights in the interrogation chamber. How many lights do you see there? I see four lights. No, there are five. You're quite sure? 
before lights. Perhaps you're aware of the incision in your chest. While you were under the influence of our drugs, you were implanted with a small device. It's a remarkable invention. By entering commands in this pad, I can produce pain in any part of your body. Various levels of severity. Forgive me. I don't enjoy this, but I must demonstrate. It will make everything clearer. <laughs> Surprising, isn't it? Most people feel at first they can't steel themselves against it, but they're completely unprepared for the intensity of the pain. That was the lowest possible setting. Nothing about me, Miss But I've told you that I believe you. I didn't ask you about me, Noskova. I asked how many lights you see. There are four lights. I don't understand how you can be so mistaken. Oh, God. I think that answers my my question or what I was talking about a little bit earlier about this guy just wants to dominate and control and break uh, Captain Picard. That's his only goal by this point, and it, it's kind of uh, you know sad in a way a little bit. And uh, they really do a good job, I think, with his character. There's this scene I didn't capture this clip where he's got his daughter in there, even right in front of Picard and all this stuff, and they they make him completely believe in that what he's doing is right and proper and doing the you know the, what he needs to do for his people for the Cardassians and it 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 really works I think very well it's one of the things I really enjoy about this episode I, I hate to you know use the word enjoy just because it's kind of nasty but I'm just saying that they don't make the bad guy uh, a very cardboard cutout kind of character he has a family he thinks and believes what he is doing is right versus, of course, Picard being our, you know, the one we know, our our character and, you know, the the hero of the story to a degree. And, I, again, I like that. And, you know, in, in these situations, and, and I think they were trying to, you know, Trek always kind of throws a little bit of a message and a little story in there. But the that is that basically, you know, the enemy, you know, your enemies are people too in a way or – that they believe what they're doing is what they need to do and they're not really bad people necessarily and you might think they are i mean everyone has their own set of guidelines the way they live and and so forth and maybe things they would never do under any circumstances and all of that but the point is is that you know this guy the, this cardassian gul madrid believes that uh, he needs to break this human and that's that's his job so uh, you almost can't really hate the guy too much just because that that's his belief. Whenever I look at you now, I won't see a powerful Cardassian warrior. I will see a six-year-old boy who is powerless to protect himself. Be quiet! In spite of all you've done to me, I find you a pitiable man. Regard. Stop it, or I will turn this on and leave you in agony all night. Ah, you call me Picard. What are the Federation's defense plans for Minos Korva? 
There are four lights. There are five lights. How many do you see now? You are six years old. Weak and helpless. You cannot hurt me. How many? Yeah, I think, you know, this to me is is one of Patrick Stewart's finest uh, performances as Captain Picard. I mean, he, he had lots of good ones over the years in many episodes, but this is definitely up in the top top level. I mean, he really completely throws himself into the part, into what he has to do in this episode. And, you know, very difficult to do and does an amazing job. There's a story, um, one of the head uh, writers, Michael Piller, on TNG, uh, took out a full-page ad in Variety, uh, you know, the newspaper that all the celebrities and people who work in the industry reads, took out a full-page ad trying to nominate and back or try to get a Emmy nomination for Patrick Stewart for his work on this episode in, you know, in, in Next Generation in this season. You know, over the years, I, I've said it a few times, I think, on the podcast before, sci-fi Galactica had this problem. Ron Moore, you can even hear it in some of the podcasts he's done. It really gets stiffed when it comes to award shows like the Emmys. Uh, I don't know what it is. These guys are doing amazing work. Just because it's sci-fi, it gets kind of snubbed, and it has. It's starting to break through, I think, a little bit more. But it, it's still, I don't know, the the people just don't they don't really have respect for it for some reason, and the acting and everything that goes into it. But they couldn't be more wrong, and I... I it's one of the reasons I don't have a whole lot of respect for a lot of award shows anymore when they ignore good work like this. I, I just I, I can't really have much respect for people that, you know, oh, well, that's just that Star Trek show, you know. <laughs> they What do they have, little guys running around in funny masks and bumps on their forehead and shoot their little ray guns and stuff and their goofy little pajamas they wear? They have no idea, and it, it's kind of disappointing. So that's just my little... Uh, side note to the to the situation, but Patrick Stewart's just amazing in this episode, and you know he did so much good work. Really, uh, really pulls out all the stops here. I've got a couple of more clips, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, the next one I think is about when he's uh, just about going to get released when they've made the little deal with the Cardassians. How many lines? This is your last chance. The gods are coming. Don't be a stubborn fool. How many? told me he would be ready to go. We had some unfinished business. Get him cleaned up. A ship is waiting to take him back to the Enterprise. Captain Picard. If you'll go with the guards, they'll take care of you. So one last act of defiance on on Picard's, uh, you know, on his part uh, before uh, he's taken away and cleaned up a bit, you know, and taken back to the Enterprise. It's, uh, again, just very 
emotional and hard to kind of watch these this episode in a way. Uh, he does an amazing job, and, and I can't say enough about that. Uh, last little clip, just to sort of round it out, is is the very end when uh, Picard gets back there, gets command of the ship, uh, you know, his ship back, and there's a, a nice little scene to kind of end the episode where Troy and he go into his ready room to discuss what, what happened to him. I, uh, I don't know where to begin. It was... I read your report. What I didn't put in the report was that at the end, he gave me a choice between a life of comfort or more torture. All I had to do was to say that I could see five lights when in fact there were only four. You didn't say it? No. No. But I was going to. I would have told him anything. Anything at all. But more than that, I believed that I could see Five lights. So there you have Chain of Command, the two-parter from Season 6 of TNG. Great set of episodes. Uh, was really fun to watch them again and, and just see how, how good a job they did and how amazing Patrick Stewart is in this set of episodes. And it was fun to see some of the other characters, too, get to do things a little differently with Jellicoe aboard and, and that and, and how they each had to interact with a new captain. And uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. So uh, I, I just that's all, I guess, for me on Chain of Command, a, a really fun set of episodes to, to cover on the podcast. And uh, with that, we have to definitely hear from the Moyers about this set of episodes. And I think there's a little song in here, too. So stand by for uh, their take on Chain of Command. This is Rick. And this is Andrew. And this is the Father Father and Son Son Review. Review. Wow, Chain of Command, the two-parter on Next Generation. Mm -hmm. Wow, so many things we could talk about here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Great episode. One of my favorites. Of course, all of them are my favorite, aren't they? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I've watched this one a million times, though. Uh, what What was your favorite part of this episode, Andrew? There are four lights. Oh my gosh, we all do that. We actually, my son Nathan actually put his handle on uh, at the Trex and Sci Fi forums as four lights. So that's kind of funny, but uh, yeah, we we really enjoy this episode. I think um, one of my favorite parts of it is is seeing Worf afraid of bats or Minox. What were they? No, you weren't Minox. That's from Star Wars. What were they? He was afraid of bats, and wasn't Crusher afraid of heights? And it was it, it was pretty cool to watch all that different stuff. But it was really neat to watch the Enterprise have a different captain, even though we all love John Luke, mm, and we hated Jellicoe. We hated Jellicoe. He was just a jerk, wasn't he? A jerk. Yeah. The way he treated the Cardassians and just his command style was so different. Maybe he wasn't a jerk. Well, kind of. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, how many stars would you give this one out of five stars? How many how many stars would you give this episode, Chain of Command, Part One and Two? Probably four point five. 
It was a good, good, good two-parter. I, I agree. I will also chime in at 4.5. Well, as you know, um, I have fun making parodies here at the house. Do you ever get tired of me doing that? Um, no you're not, comment. You're not going to say, are you? <laughs> I, I tend to spend a lot of time on making them sound good. But mm. uh, anyway, I did one today just for this episode. And uh, it's to the tune of Smoking in the Boys' Room <laughs> called Elephants in the Ready Room. Remember the scene when uh, when Dion is in the ready room mm-hmm. and Jellico has artwork from his kid and he thinks it's an elephant and then she turns it the right way and says, definitely an elephant. <laughs> so that's how I got that, elephants mm-hmm. in the ready room. <laughs> so uh, anyway, here you go. Uh, I'm Rick. And I'm Andrew. And this has been the Father, Father and Son, Son Review. Review. Here's the song, Elephants in the Ready Room. How you doing out there? You ever seem to have one of those days where it seems like transmissions from Cardassia say that they're making biological weapons of mass destruction? Well, you know, it's just run-of-the-mill stuff in the Federation. But get this, the Enterprise has a new captain, and it's no fun. Let me tell you about it! Picking up emissions, the world filters three, the card crusher and wharf, the passage to sea. Federation sends a guy, Jellicoe's his name, tries to be the captain, but drives everyone insane. Elephants in the ready room. Elephants in the ready room. Now, Jellico, don't keep team number one like a fool. Cause everybody knows that John Luke is way more cool. Checking out a planet, the captain taking for sure. Strip him of his clothes, and go for dread torture. Awesome song. I love it. Love it. And uh, thank you, Rick and Andrew, for uh, your take on 
chain of command. Uh, I missed hearing uh, Nathan. I would have loved to. I know he's away at school, and I would love to hear something about these set of episodes. Mr. Four Lights himself, Nathan. <laughs> but anyway, thanks a lot, guys, and love the song, too. I'm a television junkie. And the real world stumps me. I got a lot of problems. Why don't somebody solve them? Hello, I am not Jen. And I am most certainly not Angela. And you are not listening to the Anomaly Podcast. But you are listening to Treks and Sci-Fi with our good friend Rico Dosti. And when you're finished with... When you're finished... When you are done listening to Rico, you can head on over to the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Fangirls with the Moosis. The socially functional fangirls... Who walk on the wild side. <laughs> We're the crazy hippies who know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> I do, do you? I do not, but I don't want to. Good. <laughs> but I support your right to. <laughs> this will never make it onto a promo. It might. Alright, all you geeks out there, we're just about to the end of the Trucks and Sci-Fi podcast for this week. I I feel a little bit bad. I, I haven't covered collectibles in a while, and I do have a couple of things around here that I'd like to review, but it's just, I don't know, I, I don't have enough time on the show, and uh, and also it's just, it's trying to make these go a little quicker in a way and make it a little easier for me with all this job stuff going on. But I will get back to collectibles. Mark my words, they will become, you know, be coming back around the mountain. What, where did that come from? I have no idea. But I will be doing some collectible reviews, hopefully soon on the show. But not next week, because next week, like I said earlier, will be a special Bond, James Bond. James Bond. I'm not going to do my try to attempt my British accent for you, but Meds can do much better at that than I. And he will be here next week uh, to cover James Bond for all of you. And in two weeks, I have no idea what I'm going to do because I haven't worked that out yet in the schedule. But just go over to treksandsci-fi.com. Probably a couple of days. Give me a couple of days this week, but I will have an updated uh, list for what will be coming up in two weeks. It'll probably be a Trek episode, I think, but I'm not sure yet. Along with some special shows. Oh, I hope everyone enjoyed the Frankenstein show last week. That was a great uh a lot of fun to do, just great stuff and, and fun to do for Halloween. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, maybe you skipped it over because you just listened to the Trek stuff for some reason, I, I really urge you to give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. So anyway, I'm out of here. Uh, get this edited up and get it online for all of you. And I'll talk to you again next time on Treks in Sci-Fi. This podcast, copyright 2009, under Creative Commons License 3.0. Share it with your friends. Talk to you later.
Oh, thanks very much for everyone that's donated to the podcast lately. Those are always appreciated. Just go over to treksinsci-fi.com and donate uh, what you can. 